Okay, well, you can see there at the top of your sheet the goal stated in a sentence. We must have a biblical view of the supernatural realm. That's, that's the goal, all right? And I have here a scale of 1 to 10, and as we get started tonight, I want us to uh, be a little honest with ourselves here, and also for maybe some of you who are willing to be honest with uh, the, the group and talk about where you land on this scale at the moment. On one end of the scale, if we're thinking about how we consider the supernatural realm, on one end of the scale, we have this idea that supernatural or spiritual influences abound, and we are constantly observing the effects of that in the world. And you could look at the decline of the culture, for example, and say that is a direct result of supernatural influences that are at work. So that would be like level 10 on the scale of 1 to 10 there. Somewhere in the middle would be this idea of, well, spiritual forces do exist, but you know, many of our problems we just cause ourselves. All, most of our problems are from our own sinfulness without the aid of demons and without the effects of angels. It's impossible to know how much the supernatural world affects our physical world. Uh, that's probably a pretty common view. And um, I would say a person who lands in this area would also kind of have the same estimation of the Holy Spirit, saying, yeah, I know the Holy Spirit exists, I know that He's involved, but I don't really know what He's doing, I don't really know if any idea I have or any motive I have comes from Him or not, it, I just know that He's around. So that's kind of like a mysterious shrug. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, so like down at number one there, basically saying there are no significant spiritual influences at work. We're just living in an evolving secular culture that's been left to its own devices, and that's why it's going downhill. And in the church, uh, God is good, and God uh, you know, is working in the lives of his people, but angels, uh, they're not really doing today what they were doing in the Bible. There's no real significant spiritual activity from angels or demons today. So, um, go ahead and mark where you are on that, and based by, on the number of fans that are going in here, I will turn the AC on. <laughs> I'm a little warm too, I tend to run a little warm, so let's, let's knock the temperature down by a degree or two, huh? <clears throat> okay, so figure out where you are on the scale, and then if you're bold enough, tell me where you are on the scale. Someone share with me, Anna. Probably like a solid eight. A solid eight, okay. See, I'm going to, look at this, I'm putting your new last initial. Yeah. <laughs> Good for me. <laughs> Hayden, what were you going to say? Okay. Okay. You put an 11. Oh, wow. Andy, way over there. Okay. Who else? I'm a 9. Okay. All right. Very good. Brandon, too. Okay. <laughs> Hawkins. Oh, sorry. It left me. Someone from this side of the room. Okay, 10, 10, 9. Mike? 10. Oh, okay. A whole bunch. I'll put a star. You'll be collectively represented by a star. Anybody uh, below a 7? Wow. Everyone's 7 or up. Okay, Virginia's down by 3. Oh, very good. Thank you, Virginia. VC, you're not Vietnamese. No. Okay. I'm, I'm struggling though with your comment. Is that your comment? <laughs> That's no. I typed it. Well, it's not these. I mean, those are three different views essentially that represent different places on a scale. So it's not depending on which one you're looking at. It's not my comment, or it is. I don't know which comment. Spirits exist, but most of our problems are self. Okay, so if you take that, if you take that view, then you would be about there on the scale. I do take that view, but I think the supernatural is active. It's very active. Okay, yeah. But I do think it's a combination of five and ten. I think my own heart is my biggest problem. Okay. So I think Satan. While well, I know he's active, I still think the biggest problem is desires in my own heart. Mm -hmm. Okay, so where are you on the scale? Tell me. I don't know. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when's the last time you were influenced by something demonic, would you say? Influenced? Yeah. Influenced to act or just 
Think, no, to think. That's that's really good. Yeah, we're to influence the think in a demonic way. Politics. Okay, go to James three. Everybody, turn, everybody, turn to James. Had to throw it out there. Everybody, turn to James three. Jim's being difficult. James three. Go down sinking bowl. <laughs> well, I already tried that once and it didn't sink. <laughs> James three. Let's go to um, starting at verse thirteen. Okay, James three thirteen. I'm going to read through verse 18. James 3.13, it says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right, so if we hone in on verse 15, demonic there is grouped with earthly and natural in describing the behaviors of Verse 14, which is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So given that biblical insight, when is the last time you think you were influenced by something demonic, Mr. Carpenter? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Every day. So that's pretty, that's pretty active. The supernatural world is pretty active then, even against this old Christian guy who lives in Mona, Utah, huh? No one said anything about blame. Now, that's not that word's not on there. Okay, so I'm so it's not pointing the finger and saying, okay, uh, you know, my sin is all Satan's fault. That's not what that that's not what that sentence says. Okay, so no one's mind should be there. Okay, but um, at the same time, we can recognize these two realities exist at the same time. That Satan and his demons are active. Angels are active. We as human beings who are redeemed are active both in sin of our own doing uh, and also in good behavior, you could say. Now, how much of that is influenced by demons and how, how much of that is influenced by angels? I present this scale to you as a self-evaluation to kind of see where you are as we enter into a study like this. I guess I'll go back to James 1.14. About sin being birthed out of us. And, Each one you know, is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Yes. So no one is arguing that, okay? No one's arguing against that, all right? The, um, I think maybe your mind is, has taken off in a different direction. Okay. No one's arguing that at all. Or no one's saying, our sin is Satan's fault. No one's saying that. So where, how, so where are you on the scale? I'll let you figure it out and mark on the sheet there. Yeah, right here. As far as the supernatural being active, yeah, I'm way up at a What else? Anybody else that's below a seven? Oh, well, that's... A yeah. teacher doesn't have to disclose yeah. anything. <laughs> I'm not saying anything until I know where you're at. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I'm a six and a half aspiring to be a nine or a ten. <laughs> that's where... That, I think that's a pretty honest answer. Transparent answer, I should say. I just needed to know where you were. Yeah. I no idea where I am. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's very fair. So... I want us to, uh, to think about where we lean right now, and then we're going to cover through some, or go through some passages here. You see them written out for you. And we're going to revisit this scale after we look at what the Bible has to say. All right, so let's all go to 2 Kings. We'll start on the same passage, though later I think I'm going to have us take these up as assignments, and different people will turn there and read them out loud. But let's all go to 2 Kings 6 to begin. And starting at verse 15, we have a very interesting happenstance here between Elisha and his servant, their enemies, and the spiritual world. So let's uh, check this out. We're jumping into a, a text here. Of course, I'm not giving you a ton of context, um, but I think you'll see what it is that we're wanting to find this evening. Someone want to read chapter 6, verses 15 to 18 of 2 Kings. 2 Kings 6, 
15 to 18. Thanks, Stacey. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. All right. So, again, we're just jumping into the middle of the story, which can be a little challenging. Okay. And usually when teachers do that, it's a scary thing. But I hope to not do anything scary. Uh, basically, what you have is um, Elisha and his servant. You notice at the beginning, verse 15, the servant is called the attendant, and Elisha is called the man of God. Okay, so that's, that's who, are, who the characters are. And they have their enemies who are surrounding him. His servant looks up and says, look, um, horses, chariots circling the city. Well, then what, what happens next? Someone, someone tell me. Okay, and what happens? What does he see? He sees someone there. There's more with them. Things that couldn't be seen before. Okay, yeah. So he sees something new. You have, uh, in verse 16, you have Elisha replying to him and saying, Don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he asks God to open his eyes, and he sees this new group. Horses and chariots of fire. What's what's that about? You were there. They, I take it as being they're just God's part of God's army that's out there, and they're there all the time. We can't see them; they're here and around everywhere. But in a situation like that, and was, he knew they were there. He'd see them, and this guy was scared to death because here were the two of us, and uh, the enemy's coming. Fear mm-hmm. not. And ask the Lord, and boom, he opens his eyes, and now we can see that he's there. Just kind of another dimension type thing. Yeah. Amazing confidence by Elisha, too, right? Before he could, before he saw that, or maybe he was already seeing it, because he asked the Lord to open his eyes. But, yeah, we have more with us than they have with him. It's pretty amazing. Um, this wasn't Elisha's first time dealing with such a thing. Go back to uh, chapter 2, 2 Kings 2. Let's look at uh, starting in verse 9. This is back when Elijah, with a J, was still alive, and Elisha was with him. 2 Kings 2.9, it says, When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, that's not what I thought you were going to ask. <laughs> he, said, he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses and of fire which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. And he goes on to describe how he responded to that, and you get into the ministry of Elisha. But you have here Elisha experiencing something of chariots of fire before this event. And so this wasn't the first time Elisha had seen such a thing, the chariots of the God of Israel. Here he was seeing it uh, in a different context, though, and his servant was seeing it for the first time, that they had angel armies on their side. Pretty wild stuff, huh? Okay. You guys want to say anything about that? Any thoughts or questions on that one? What does the double portion of your spirit be upon me? <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, most likely referring to have me to do even greater works than you've done. Because Elijah was a miracle-working prophet. You know, he did all sorts of miracles, and Elisha wanted to emulate him. And he wanted to even go beyond. So I think that that's what he was asking for there. Yeah. Good. Jim. 
I've always heard that that is <clears throat> the double portion referred to for the, the senior son receives a double portion of the inheritance. Yeah. And I always that was, he wanted to continue with take on the life Elijah's ministry. Yes. Continue as as he inherited yep. his ministry and continue. Yes, as he was Elijah's associate, he wanted to succeed like in that role. Like a son, he wanted to carry the ministry and continue to do the work. Yep. Yep. It's good. Well, and Elijah was the prophet who called down the fire on the prophets of yes. Baal, right? First Kings 18, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was a one-off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, I want you to hone in on verses 16 and 17 there in chapter 6. Uh, look at how Elisha responds before his servant's eyes are open when he says, those who are with us are mo more than those who are with them. That's a, a statement of fact, isn't it? I mean, it's just plainly stating the fact. And then verse 17, by way of Contrast isn't so much a statement of fact as it is a subjective experience. I mean, it actually happened, of course, but it's an experience. And so um, I think that's important for us to grasp early on in this study that you have this statement of fact that this is what's happening. And that's a reality, whether or not that servant's eyes get, get opened and they, he's able to see what's going on. Whether or not the Lord granted that to him, that was the reality, right? And so... Um, when we're talking about the supernatural realm, we're talking about something invisible. That's what makes this you know, really unique and strange and mysterious. We're talking about stuff we, we can't see, like we're looking at each other now. Um, there are special times, of course, when the supernatural uh, is allowed to make itself visible, tangible in some way. We'll get to that in this series. Uh, we're here where God touches a person's eyes to be able to see such a thing. But I want you to know that verse 16 stands whether or not we ever got verse 17, right? Verse 16 was still going to be true. Okay. And a couple other things that I want to point out. Um, when you think about this whole more than in verse 16, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. There are a couple of cross-references that come to my mind. One being in 1 John 4, and we'll get there tonight uh, toward the end, where... John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now that's, of course, a reference to the Holy Spirit, not a reference to angels, but the same idea. You've got greater power. You've got greater spiritual strength than whatever else is out there, okay? And then there's also that moment in uh, Jesus' life when uh, Peter was trying to stop him from being crucified, and Jesus says, don't you think I could ask my father and he'd send legions of angels? And it's more than 10,000. I think it's actually like 72,000 because he says a dozen legions of angels, something like that. Um, but anyway, Jesus could have asked for that because there's more with him than those who are against him. You know, that sort of idea. And so that, this idea that we get in 2 Kings 6 about greater or more than are these who are with us than those who are against us, that's actually found in different places in Scripture, not just here. Okay? So now, having that in mind, where you've got supernatural world going on around us, I'm now going to take you to 1 Kings 22, where things get strange. All right, If you thought that was strange, it gets stranger. 1 Kings 22, we have an interesting insight into the counsel of God and how He interacts with these spirits, both good and bad. So let's uh, have someone read 1 Kings 22. 19 to 23. 1 Kings 22, 19 to 23. I got it. Okay, go ahead. Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, 
I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> okay. So now, Jim, going back to what you were bringing up earlier about uh, blame for sin. Who was to blame for uh, the false prophecies made by Ahab's prophets? Themselves or the demons? Yes. Oh. Already false prophets. But? Okay. So it's kind of a both-and situation, isn't it? I mean, you can sin and you'll always be responsible for your sin, but there are also influences in your life. We just have, as we have physical influences, I mean, some of your parents didn't do you any favors in the way you were raised, okay? Do you blame them for all your sins? Well, you better not. That's Freudian stuff. That's not biblical stuff, okay? Uh, but you can also recognize, yeah, there are some influences there that weren't good. The same kind of thing in the supernatural realm, in the intangible realm. But here you have the Lord saying, okay, we need to destroy this guy. Um, <laughs> that he will go up and fall, it says in verse 20. And then a spirit comes forward and says, okay, I'll lie for you. And God sends him to go do that. What are your problems with this passage? Can God lie? No, <laughs> he can't. Habakkuk 1.13 says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And he's not the author of evil. Mm -hmm. The angels who stay with God would lie. Correct. Because yeah. angels who have not fallen, who are not demons, right. they can't sin. Right. So are there evil spirits in heaven? Oh, whoa, yeah, where'd he come from? How did he, how did he get past the red velvet rope, you know? Like, whoa. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. You know, we've got, of course, Job. Satan shows up right there at the beginning of Job. It was right in front of God, you know? It's like, well, how does that work? Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so um, there's, there's some kind of mobility that's granted to evil spirits, clearly. I mean, here, Job, um, other places, we're going to look at one in Ephesians 3 that's pretty interesting, where, yeah, there, it's a different dimension. You've got God who's omnipresent. He fills heaven and earth, it says in Jeremiah 23. So he has no physical limitation whatsoever. Demons do. Angels do. They are created beings. That means they are locked into time and space like we are. But they're able to be in the presence of the Lord in some sense in the spiritual realm. Pretty fascinating. Saul. Yeah. First, my mind went to the Witch of Indoor. Yeah, event. yeah, that too. But we're not covering that tonight. So don't, yeah, don't, don't make me go there. <laughs> I will punt if you do that. Okay, it's first down, and I'll punt on that okay. one. Yeah. But okay. Yes, I think so. There, you'll you'll get different opinions on that. You know, you got the famous Corey Tinboom thing, right? Uh, would can is it ethical? Is it ethically okay by the Bible to lie to a Nazi? I, I take the position, no, it's not. But that's a bigger conversation. Um, so yeah, we see if a lot of things in this passage, but here's the big idea you can take away from this one. God is able to and does use spirits as he wills. Good spirits, evil spirits, doesn't matter. God is able to and he does use spirits as he wills. Okay, um, Ahab refuse the word of the Lord. If you read through this uh, passage, you've, you've got the Lord speaking clearly to Ahab, and he refused God's word. And this is really the consequence of his actions. This is where he's ended up, is he's getting a lying spirit putting false prophecies in the words of his prophets, and he will be destroyed. So, pretty interesting. Okay? All right. 
On that same theme, let's have someone grab Romans 11. Who can get that for us? Romans 11, two verses, Mike. And could you get 7 and 8? Romans 11, 7 and 8. And then someone gets 2 Thessalonians 2. Who can get that for us? 2 Thessalonians 2. Greg, verses 8 to 12. Okay, so these first three groups here on your sheet are kind of on the same theme where you have spirits being used by God that are active in the world. So especially considering what we just saw in 1 Kings 22, let's hear what's going on in Romans 11, 7 to 8. What then? What Israel is seeking? It has not obtained, but those who are chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. Right. So speaking of the nation of Israel, if we were to answer the question, why isn't all of Israel saved right now? Why, why haven't all the Jews seen their Messiah and believed in their Messiah? Well, it's verses 7 and 8 answer this. Those who were chosen have obtained it. Those who were chosen have been saved. And yet the rest were hardened, and they were hardened in this specific way to fulfill prophecy where God gave them a spirit of stupor. Now, it doesn't say specifically there that we're talking about um, some sort of spiritual being. It could just be the st- like the status of, um, I'm in a spirit of stupidity or whatever. Okay, like it could be that sort of term. But we just saw in 1 Kings 22, something of what God does here, where he can use the supernatural realm. He can use spiritual beings to put people in a spirit of stupor. So you've got that going on, okay? And then also 2 Thessalonians 2. Greg, you got that one for us, 8 to 12. Let's hear about that one. And then the lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, so this passage is talking about the coming lawless one, the Antichrist, who is specifically under the power of Satan. And it talks, goes beyond that and talks about those people who follow him, those who believe him those who did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And because they did not receive the love of the truth, what's the result? God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. That's a pretty remarkable verse there. Now, I I believe this fulfillment is yet future. I believe the Antichrist, the lawless one, is yet future. That's kind of a separate discussion. But for our purpose this evening... um, whether you look at that as past, present, or future, God is at work here sending a deluding influence similar to what we just saw in Romans 11. So um, the 1 Kings 22 event, I don't believe was a one-time event, the, the deceptive spirit who was sent out. I don't believe that was a one-time thing. I believe that has happened multiple times throughout history and will continue to happen into the future. So thoughts or questions on, uh, on that? Lots. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have a question. So the deceiving spirits are sent mainly to those who don't know the Lord. Totally. Yeah. The Lord wouldn't deceive his own people. No. No, he tests his people, but yeah. he wouldn't deceive his and, people. And he wouldn't send a spirit to deceive his own people. No. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's, that's probably the more accurate way we should phrase that, huh? Because um, the Lord doesn't deceive anybody. But it would be, uh, he, he would not send a demonic spirit, for example, to torment his own people. It would be those who reject him already. Didn't he do that with Job, though? No, I, unless I'm not thinking of something that you're thinking of. He um, isn't Job the one who like his entire house, mm-hmm. farm. Yeah, so we're thinking of. Him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so um, Satan was given permission to, you know, touch the effects of his world. You know, his family, his property, his cattle, all that stuff. Um, But in no way was Satan allowed to influence his mind. Um, You know, God didn't commission Satan to turn Job into 
a devil or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, Satan is sometimes given permission to affect our lives, but he's we're, we're protected by the power of God in the sense that um, we're not going to be infiltrated by Satan as we were in our unregenerate state. And we'll get to that here in just a little bit. And just going back to what he said about sending deceiving spirits to people who don't know, would you say don't know or who are rejected? Because what I've, what I've yeah. understood from this passage, per se, is that it was for people who have rejected the truth. Well, you want to you wanna hear a really hard truth on that. It's actually those who weren't chosen. That's the language we've got in Romans 11, and that's logically where all this starts. Where all this starts is God's choice. And so for those who have not been chosen, um, like say Israel, for example, we're told specifically those not chosen are hardened. Um, those who die in their sins without believing in the gospel message were not chosen by God. And that's, that's a hard reality to grasp there. Could you take that to a point where, in a way, it's not considered that we have free will anymore to believe in God? That's the classic debate. You're touching on it. You're touching on the debate. Fix it, Jeremy. But the good news is, in my Sunday school class, we're just getting into that. We're gonna, we got like four weeks where we're going to be talking about that. So, yeah. Come back Sunday. <laughs> it's always the answer, right? Come back next time. Yes, but it can't be taken too far. Short answer, yes. Okay. Okay, let's move on to the next set. These next four passages go together. Um, John 12, 1 John 5, 2 Corinthians 4, and Ephesians 2. I want to go ahead and get those assigned here so we can read those all as a group and then uh, reflect on them together. So John 12, who can get that for us? 27 to 32. John 12, 27 to 32. Thank you, Rex. 1 John 5, 19. Thank you, Joanna. Colossians 4. Who can get that one for us? Colossians, no, sorry, 2 Corinthians 4. Okay, and then, Ellie, could you read 3 and 4? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And then Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3, Logan. All right, so um, we'll just go through these, and I'll give a brief comment after each passage, and then at the end we'll pause and put our heads together on this. John 12. 27 to 32. These passages are going to be about Satan specifically. Right? So, John 12. Go ahead, Rick. <clears throat> now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to them, to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for, for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Okay, so if we focus specifically on verse 31 there, we see Satan being, being implicated. His name isn't being used. We don't have the devil. We don't have the enemy. We don't have Satan. Uh, we don't have the evil one. However, we have the word or the term, the ruler. The ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus here, of course, isn't talking about himself. Okay, he's talking about uh, Satan, Satan being the ruler of the world and Satan being unable to thwart God's program because Jesus came for this purpose. It says in verse 27, Jesus said, for this purpose, I came to the world. Satan's not going to be able to throw off God's purpose. Satan's not going to be able to stop God's program in any sense. First John five nineteen. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the Right, so a different term there, not the ruler, but the evil one. And it kind of, that verse kind of demonstrates how he is the ruler, because the whole world lies in, lies in the power of the evil one. Satan's dominion, you could say, continues to exist. The whole world lies in his power. And that power was given to him by who? Good. Good job, Stacey. Yeah. 
That, that power was given to him by God. As Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. He's on a leash, and God's holding the leash. Okay? All right, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. Okay, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in those in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All right. So now those first two passages we looked at, both from the Apostle John's writings, they were talking about generally. Satan is generally ruling the world. He's been given that dominion to have rule in the world. Not in the same sense that God rules the world, okay? I don't want you to get kind of like the eternal struggle between good and evil in your mind. Uh, this is God's world, Genesis 1.1. However, he's given Satan that measure of dominion. But now we're getting more specific. Paul makes it a little more specific. And Satan here in this verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he is blinding people's minds. He, that means he's touching their thoughts. He's directing their thoughts away from the gospel so that they will not believe the gospel. It's kind of like uh, that parable of the soils or the parable of the sower that Jesus told, where the seed goes in the first soil, it's by the path, and the bird comes and snatches it away. It never even takes root at all, never germinates. The devil is Satan, Jesus said. He's an enemy of the gospel. He takes away the gospel. And here Paul is telling us he does that in their minds. He's blinding their minds. So that's pretty personal now. We're getting pretty invasive. Okay. Now, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it's invasive also. Who, who had that one? I got it. Okay, thanks, Logan. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. All people in their natural state are children of what, according to verse 3? Wrath. Children of wrath. Not children of God? Did we see that right? <laughs> Maybe that's a bad translation. No. <laughs> by nature, we are all children of wrath. And verse 2 is where you get this spiritual stuff that gets pretty invasive and personal. We all, in our natural state, all of us, walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Another title here that we get for Satan, the ruler. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The spirit that's at work in people. Now, Satan's not omnipresent, so he's able to do this. He has to be able to do this through demonic influences. But we're talking about spirits in people here at this point. See this? That's... that's Invasive. Okay. All right. So I'll pause there. What do we think about these passages talking about Satan and his work in the world? Why did God allow him to do so much? Hmm. Well, you know the answer to every why question. Because God is most glorified this way. All right. Because, it, and you're coming from the right perspective, because it is God allowing him. Right? We always have to remember that. When you get into this stuff, and I know I'm saying this now for the third or fourth time, when you get into this stuff about Satan and demons, it's easy to let your mind slip and start thinking this is outside of God's purview or outside of God's control. Don't ever let your mind go there. Nothing is outside of God's control. Okay? That includes this. And so, yes, God is allowing him to do this. Why? He is, he is bringing glory to himself this way. Um, I mean, even that passage we read in John 12, Kind of it touched on that. The passage that Rex read in John 12, 28, well, 27, at the end of 27, Jesus is saying, what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? No, I came for this purpose. He instead says, verse 28, Father, glorify your name. So why didn't God stop people from committing the worst sin of all time, which was nailing the Son of Man to a cross, killing Jesus Christ. The worst sin ever. There's no murder. There's no rape. There's no uh, genocide that's ever been worse than that particular sin. And God 
not only allowed it to happen, it was in the predetermined plan of God because he was most glorified by it. What did Jesus say to Peter when he told him that he wasn't going to go to the cross? Get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Yep. It shows me the, the plan of God, like, before anything was ever created, there was a plan. Yes. And, you know, people like to nail it on Adam or Eve. But I was thinking the other day that it's before that. Mm -hmm. It happened in hell. Mm -hmm. He was kicked out. Yep. That's where it started. That's absolutely right. Yeah, we'll look at this on Sunday. The message on Sunday, um, Paul talks quite a bit about Satan and how he disguises himself as an angel of light. And so we'll go to Ezekiel 28 this Sunday and look at that passage. Yeah. Okay, next set. The last four passages, these kind of go together now. So now I've really depressed everybody, and we'll look at uh, some positive things now for Christians, okay? We're talking about all these ways that Satan and demons have influence. Well, now the good news is, if you're a Christian, you're above that, Okay. Let's uh, look at these together. Who can get Colossians 1, 13 and 14? Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Mandy? Ephesians 3, 8 to 10. Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. Brandon, thank you. Ephesians 6. Who can get Ephesians 6 for us? It, I'd prefer 11 and 12, if that's okay, instead of just 12. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Greg, thank you. And then 1 John 4, 1 through 6. I got it. Okay, thanks, Andy. And that's a really good one. You got the you got the like most encouraging one. So you have to read it with a smile. Okay. <laughs> okay, so now let's start looking at some good news. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Alright, so Satan is not named here, demons are not named here, but instead you have this phrase or term. <laughs> The domain of darkness. If you are a Christian, that means you were once in the domain of darkness, but now, praise God, you are in the kingdom of his beloved son. So that's really good news. You are delivered from Satan's domain. If you're a Christian, you've been delivered from Satan's domain. Now, we're, this is what we'll wrestle with. You're still living in the world, and he's still around, his demons are still around. So how does that work? If you've been delivered, and yet they're still around, and He's shooting flaming arrows at you. Well, we'll talk about that later, okay? <laughs> Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what, is what the administration of the mystery, which for the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Yeah, oh man, this is amazing. Verse 10, the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, is now being made known to the powers in the heavenly places through us, through the church. We are like declaring Christ's victory to the spiritual realm. <laughs> okay, whoa. We're not just proclaiming it to the lost. We're not just proclaiming it to one another. We're not just proclaiming it like generally. There's a specific way in which we are making known the very wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. Wow. How privileged are we? Mm -hmm. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly. So same letter, same author, same terms being used, talking about the heavenly places and the rulers and the authorities. We also get the devil invoked here. Verse 10 or verse 11 mentions the devil by name. And it says here that we have our struggle against this invisible activity. As Christians, our ultimate struggle is against the invisible forces, 
not against the flesh and blood that we can see and interact with and take hold of, but against that which is invisible, that which is supernatural, that which is spiritual, that which is, you could say, of another dimension. And we are to be actively engaged in that battle. It's an ongoing thing. It's not like it happened once and now the church is done. It like keeps going until Jesus comes back. That's your answer to flaming arrows too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And then 1 John 4, 1-6. With a smile. With a smile. <laughs> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. All right. Really focus in on that last part at the very end of verse 6. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We are called as Christians to test the spirits. We're not just testing men and women and children. But we recognize they're being influenced by the spiritual realm. There's spiritual stuff we're testing here. We're discerning spirits. And when we test the spirits, we don't do so by feel. It's not a gut thing. You don't say like, oh, that felt really, really sweet. That was really nice. That was really good um, because it made me feel good. So it must be good. And you don't say, ah, I didn't like that. That just made me feel bad. I'm bad. <laughs> That's not, he doesn't say the spirit of feeling good and the spirit of feeling bad. We test the spirits by the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We're covering right now in 2 Corinthians 11, those who preach another Jesus, who give you a different spirit, who give you a different gospel. Those are all like truth and error issues. Those aren't gut feeling issues. And so we test the spirits by the truth of God's word. Because you, you can have a really faithful messenger give you a very biblical message and you'll feel bad afterwards because you're feeling convicted or whatever the case may be that doesn't make it wrong that doesn't make that person wrong and you can get a lie you can get a bunch of lies fed to you and make you feel really good and that doesn't make the message good so you see it's a truth versus error thing and we are to test the spirits and the encouragement in all of this is we are from God. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We have the truth. We're able to do this. Okay, so that's, that's the positive. So now, if we were to revisit this scale, um, where do you think the Bible is on this scale? Mm. Ten. Yeah, probably, probably farther this way, right, than maybe you would initially would say. Okay, I mean... We just looked at a fraction of what the Bible has to say about the supernatural realm. And there's a lot going on. And so we, we have to say, okay, the Bible is a spiritual book. It's giving us spiritual insight. We have to be open to what God says is going on in the world, even the stuff we can't see. Thoughts or questions there before I wrap it up with my final thoughts? These passages, any of the passages? So... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, this might be like entirely off topic, but God sends spirits, uh -huh. angels and demons. There's a belief that you have like a guardian angel with you at uh, all times. Mm -hmm. Is there any biblical backup to that statement? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a good question, and we will get to that. We're going to do after tonight, the next, I don't know, four, five, six weeks will be about angels. And then the next four, five, six weeks will be about demons. Mm -hmm. And so we'll get to that next. But no, that's a Roman Catholic thing. Okay. Some guy with a tall hat wearing a silk dress made that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, before
before I ever even moved up here to Utah, I'd spoken to several uh, LDS missionaries. Uh huh. And I think I even said it to Stacy. There is a smell about them that is not discerned with your nose. Hmm. And it's not a bad smell or anything like that. There's a certain spirit that is present with the missionaries, at least the ones that I, I met. Um, you can distinguish when you start speaking to somebody whether they know the Lord or whether they don't. And it's, like I said, and it's, it's an attractive thing. There are many things about the LDS that I appreciate, the focus on family and all those kinds of things. However, they also do things that are completely unbiblical, reduce God, elevate man, basically destroy who Jesus is. So, spirit of error and spirit of truth. Yes. I mean, because ultimately, you can have someone in your living room trying, trying to convince you of something, or even a whole group of people, a whole denomination of people who um, are just kind of weird. Weird vibes, right? Where it's like, okay, you're awkward, and you're all kind of the same, and this is strange. But um, they could be speaking truth still. I mean, I, I think there's some seminaries I know. There's one particular seminary I have in mind that produces a certain kind of minister. And you meet one, you've met them all kind of thing. Where it's like, okay, I know you went to that school by the way you're acting. Um, that doesn't mean they're wrong, right? I, just because I think that they're weird. What matters is the content. <laughs> the content. What comes out of their mouths? Unity and diversity. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, let me close with a few, few thoughts here. Um, as you see at the bottom of your sheet, I have this statement. The Bible reveals a very active, supernatural world that we do not have to fear, okay? So let me give you three truths that we can walk away with tonight. Number one, supernatural spirits are abundant and they interact with the rest of creation. So the angels and demons are abundant and they interact with the rest of creation. They are created, so they are creatures like we are creatures. That's important to keep in mind always. And they interact with the rest of creation. Now, um, to what degree have they interacted with you, you creature? Well, um, there's going to be a lot of personal discerning of that through this, okay? I'm not here to, to really nail that down for you in your life, but we want to see what the Bible has to say. So number one, we just got to know that. They're interactive. Number two, supernatural spirits fall on the creature side of the creator-creature divide. This is one of the most important things that you can know. I mean, it's so basic, but boy, is it um, essential. If you mess this up, you've lost everything. There is an infinite chasm between the being of our creator who is eternal and utterly self-sufficient and creatures who are extremely limited and dependent. Massive, eternal, infinite gulf between the two. Angels and demons fall on this side. The only persons who fall on this side are the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay? That's it. On this side is everything else. Okay? So um, what does that mean? What, what are the positives from that? Well, Angels and demons cannot act outside of God's predetermined plan. He's creator, they are not. They are limited by God himself. He has sovereign control over creation, and that includes their activity. And though we are affected by spirits, we are not to fear them as we would fear God. You should have a reverence for God that you have for no creature. Okay, You should... Fear God. The beginning of wisdom is fearing God. You should not fear any demon as you fear God. Because he is God and they are not. Okay. So that was the second thing. And the third thing is that, th this is interesting, this is a curveball. I haven't brought this up all night, but I'll, I'll leave you with this. We are only now a little lower than the angels. 
So you do have, within the creaturely realm, kind of like uh, order to this. We are right now below angels and demons. And I'm sure we'll talk about this again. In the like rank of creatures. This is what the Bible presents to us. But it's only right now that we're lower. There's coming a day when we will be up here and we will judge angels according to 1 Corinthians 6. We will judge angels. And um, we'll get there. Come back next week. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, in our glorified state, when we are resurrected, glorified, we will be above the angels. And we will judge the angels. Okay? Do they judge us right now? They observe us right now. We have a couple different passages that talk about that. Um, they observe. They don't judge. But one day we will judge. Yeah, interesting. That's a good question. Other thoughts or questions as we close out? I have one. Yes, Cheryl. Are you recording this? I am. Good. Won't be able to sleep a wink tonight. That's great. <laughs> Don't fear the spiritual realm and the same way you fear God. God is in control. <laughs> good, good. I think that's good. Uh, other thoughts or questions? Joanna. So I was raised where you could pray and that you could ask God or whatever, whoever to put angels around you and like protect you uh -huh. and stuff. Is that biblical? Like mm -hmm. you can actually ask for protection? Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. The idea that, you know, you would have a personal guardian and I mean, you'll talk to some wackos sometimes who will say, I've got a guardian angel named Jose, and, you know, he's really nice. He's been with me since I was, a, you know, a kid, and God assigned him to me, yada, yada, yada. That's just not biblical at all. So you can ask God to yes. house or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we, I mean, I mean, just think, think through the mechanics. That's a very good question. Think through the mechanics of that. If we believe angels exist, they do. If we believe they have a role in God's program, they do. And that role particularly involves um, not just being messengers, but being protectors. We just saw with Elisha's servant, they're involved in that. We see it in other places too. And we know that God is the one over them. So we pray to God. We don't pray to them. We pray to God. And God is, answers our prayers and he's able to assign things in the spiritual realm. All that is checking out for me. That's checking all the boxes. Um, you just don't want to get carried away and be un unbiblical about it. As long as you stay biblical about it, it's fair. Yeah. Does the Holy Spirit protect us in a way that angels do also? Or is that like a separate yes. protection? His would be more so. Yeah. And, and the difference, the big difference with the Holy Spirit is in that, in one sense, he's our guardian, quote unquote, angel. He's not, he's never called an angel. That's why yeah. I do that in quotes. But he's our ultimate guardian because he is completely with each believer all the time. And, and he brings about fruit through our lives. He does, he does stuff from the inside out. Angels don't do that. I've okay. also been like told from outside sources that you can kind of consider the Holy Spirit like a good conscience. Mm -hmm. Is that also kind of a true thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would phrase it that way, but I think I see what, what that person would be saying. Like, he convicts us of sin. That's, and that's what we think of like our conscience. I feel bad because I did something wrong. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And the Holy Spirit, in, in times where uh, we are being led by Him to do something, He gives us a burden to do something. You know, he, he produces fruit through our lives, ministry through our lives. And so in that sense, I'd say, yeah. So when you're praying, you don't specifically pray, like, give me your Holy Spirit if you're already saved, because we already have the Holy Spirit. Very good. Mm -hmm. But, like, for lukewarm Christians, would you say that they've muted out that spirit? Mm -hmm. Yes. Point? The Bible calls that grieving the Holy Spirit. And the answer to that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not that he leaves and comes back. That did happen in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, part of that new covenant promise is that the Spirit would be in our hearts forever. And so we don't ask for him to come. He's already there. What we ask for is uh, that we would be filled with him, that he would enlighten the eyes of our heart kind of thing. And uh, 
our duty is not to grieve him. Not we were to yield to him, not grieve him. Good stuff. So as a Christian, could you per se listen to that little voice in your head and not be like, is this a freaking demon right now? Uh, yeah. So there are different ways that um, different Christians will express that. Um, and we'll get there. I mean, that, that's that's a really that, now you get into more complicated territory, and we'll Sorry. get there. That, no, that's okay. That's going to be like a whole half of a class that we'll do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Well, that concludes session one of Angels and Demons. And uh, next week, like I said, we'll be getting into angels specifically, defining them, looking at instances in the Bible, talking about their role then and now, all that stuff. Okay. Let me pray, and we'll be done.